This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 158 of the Golf Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow me on Twitter at GolfUnfiltered, and you can send me an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Highly encourage you to do so. I enjoy the emails that I get and the conversation that we have. Uh, we had a little bit of a hiatus there. I hope everyone enjoyed watching uh, the Masters. I know that I did, uh, and that is really... One of the topics that uh, my guest, Garrett Ford, has somebody that you know as uh, originally as the public golfer or at public golfer on Twitter, but now he has a new Twitter handle, which we get into in this conversation. But he and I do dive deep into Patrick Reed winning the Masters, uh, talking a little bit about uh, what it means to be a fan of a golfer like Patrick Reed or a sports star, I guess you could say, like that character. Um, and it also goes into the line of, all right, well, what do we need to know about a person in order to be a fan of, a fan of them? And so we, we dive deep into that as well as talk a little bit about what Garrett originally had gotten uh, some attention for under his previous Twitter handle, which was Botgate. If you remember all of that, for those of you who follow both of us on Twitter, uh, there was some concern about fake followers. And I know that this is a very uh, popular... Uh, topic nowadays in today's uh, society about fakeness on social media. Uh, and so he actually caused a little bit of a stir uh, with that as well as some others who um, took uh, that story and ran with it as well. So we also touch on that. A couple quick shout outs, as always, first and foremost to my friends over at the Hacker's Paradise, if you're listening to this on the THP radio app. I also want to say hello to my friends over at Cleveland and Srixon. Obviously, you guys know I'm playing their equipment this year, and it is finally getting much warmer. It has cracked 70 degrees today in Chicagoland. It's supposed to drop again um, to the 50s, I think, on the weekend. So it's like a roller coaster ride over here, but it's it's nice to be in the spring. And I also want to say hello to my friends over at BudgetGolf.com as well. You guys do great things over there. Uh, so without much further ado, I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation with Garrett Ford on, uh, you know him on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, if you have any feedback or if you have anything that you'd like to contribute to this conversation that you're about to hear, please reach out to myself at, uh, Twitter or on email. So sit back, relax. Here we go. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, Adam with the Golf and Filter Podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, it's been a very busy golf season, and we just had our first major, at least on the men's side, uh, come through with a very uh, controversial first-time winner, first-time major winner in Patrick Reed. And we have a few other things that I'd like to get to in today's conversation with my guest, Mr. You know him as Mr. Garrett Ford or at G Ford Golf on Twitter. Uh, Previously known as the public golfer, is that right, Garrett? 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I changed it recently. And and I have, we didn't even talk about this in the in the pre discussion, but what prompted the change of the Twitter account? Well, it was a move from being completely anonymous on Twitter to semi anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I I am using my real first name now, and I felt like changing to my first my real first name was uh, a kind of act of transparency and, and sort of self-editing, mm. right? So I don't want to say anything on Twitter that I wouldn't actually say in real life. Um, and so, the, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, it, and it, it really does, it makes me think uh, about what I say, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and it, you know, listeners who are familiar with what Public Golfer was and now you as G4 Golf on Twitter – uh, understand, I hope that uh, you, you've got a lot of great golf thoughts. And so when I was thinking about recording an episode uh, to talk about Patrick Reed and, and, you know, the background of his family and all the stuff that everyone, if you turn on the Internet, do you turn on the Internet, Garrett? I don't know. <laughs> it's just there. It's just there. If you log <laughs> on to the Internet uh, and you, you research anything about the Masters or about Patrick Reed, you're going to see a lot of different stories about his background, his family, his history, and all that stuff, least of which about how he played <laughs> at Augusta yes. National. I knew I needed to get someone on that could speak intelligently to it, and you are certainly that. Um, but I, I assume, let's just you know ask the obvious question, I assume that you watch the Masters. Yes, I did. <laughs> so we have that baseline established now. And, you know, in, in watching Patrick Reed uh, win his first major, as I mentioned, uh, I think it's safe to say also that the reaction has been mixed, to say the least. Mm. Wouldn't you agree? It has been. And yeah. and with that, you know, it's, it's uh, even so far as how people reacted when he sank the final putt, uh, what was what was your reaction when you saw on television? Because uh, I assume that you weren't at Augusta, but it was just a different right. atmosphere. It was eerie, right? It was even to the point of being awkward. Mm-hmm. Usually, the reception of a leader coming up the 18th fairway at Augusta is rapturous, but there was definitely a hesitation throughout the day to embrace Patrick Reed as a hero. Um, and a lot of people have speculated about why that was the case, but it certainly came through, or at least I thought it came through in the telecast. Now it's possible that I was projecting that on the telecast, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't loud. Yeah, <laughs> it it, it wasn't, it was very strange. Yeah. And, and it was an exciting, what made it even more strange was how exciting the day was on Sunday. You know, you've got, yes. you know, Jordan Spieth doing what he was doing. You got Ricky Fowler who, oh, by the way, no one's really talking about me, but I'm going to finish in second. <laughs> um, right. and, and then all of a sudden <laughs> we get to, you know, oh, well, yeah, okay, well, Patrick Reed won. And he came in as the 54-hole leader, and we kind of expected that he would, but and he did. And it was very quiet. Did that seem like a like just an odd dichotomy to you? It really did, and it was also an expression, I think, of how I felt, and I wasn't proud of that necessarily. Mm. But the two other players who had a real chance at the end were Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, and those are incredibly popular 
young players. Mm -hmm. Patrick Reed has a checkered history with golf fans. And so I think that in addition to being lukewarm about Patrick Reed winning the Masters, that people were perhaps a little bit disappointed that Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler didn't get to a playoff. I know I certainly was. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the thing about golf fandom is that you end up rooting for people and you don't really know why and sort of rooting against people. And I personally feel a little bit guilty about that because Hmm. I don't know Patrick Reed. Um, and yet I was hoping toward the end that maybe he would miss a putt or two so that (laughs) it would be a better chance of a playoff with Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, which would have been awesome. It would have been, and I can relate to you on on your feeling with that. I I was watching the final round at a friend's house and uh, my friend is actually a pretty accomplished golfer in his own right. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he, he just looks at the, the way that these guys play in a different way than the average uh, TV viewer, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And and actually, coincidentally, he, he went to the par three contest this year. Uh, And so picture this, he and I, uh, sitting on his couch watching the television with yardage books <laughs> that, that he had picked up from uh, Augusta, and we were we were playing this game where we were trying to guess how far out somebody had to the hole. It, it was really nerdy Golf stuff. Central, absolutely, and and but we we felt the same way. Like we were actively rooting against uh, Patrick Reed, <laughs> right. and it, yeah. to, to the point like if you remember on the seventeenth hole where he um, you know he hit a putt off the green. Right, uh, and it hit the hole, right? It hit the hole, and we were like, oh. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. You're like, man, keep rolling. Keep rolling. Keep but, which... but, then you, but then you think about it, and you think that's that's terrible. That's that's bad juju for a golfer to root against another golfer. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to shoot 200 the next time that I go and play <laughs> right. golf because of all of these bad things I said. Um, and so, but all of that, though, is, is very much, oh, everything that you shared is very much what I think many people felt. And to the degree, I don't know if you saw on Twitter that, uh, you know, an Augusta um, native uh, sports writer uh, actually tweeted that when the final putt fell, the Mm -hmm. media room was like a morgue. Yeah, Scott Michaud tweeted that, didn't he? I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name, but yeah. He did, and and it was very telling, I think, Mm -hmm. that, you know, yes, you had mentioned that Patrick Reed has a checkered past, and and, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people really don't know what to think of him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he's he's a little opaque in interviews. He isn't the best performer of authenticity. Mm. And I think that there are certain young golfers who are equally accomplished who are good performers of authenticity. And that doesn't mean that they're actually authentic. But... Hmm. Um, they're, they're a little bit better at conveying that they're telling you the truth, even if they aren't exactly telling you the truth. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought about this, I, you know, there, there are other reasons why people hesitate about, about Patrick Reed, obviously as he has Augusta roots and maybe some of the people at the tournament had heard stories about him. Uh, I know that the, the tour and the, uh, the golf media is a buzz with rumors about Patrick Reed that have not been published mm-hmm. and that I'm not exactly privy to, but obviously we're reporters like Scott Michaud, uh, refer to these rumors pretty consistently. 
Um, and so there are many reasons, I think, why people uh, are reluctant to embrace Patrick Reed. But, but I think one of them, especially for, say, your, if your, your friend that you were watching the Masters with, mm-hmm. if he didn't know a whole lot of Patrick Reed's history, if he wasn't deep into uh, the details of his past, uh, you know, in the way that some golf fans are, um, then I think that just watching him in an interview has a certain effect on people. He's a little bit stiff. It's like he's talking through his teeth all the time. Um, and, and there's just something that you, that at least I, when I watch him being interviewed, don't quite buy. Um, and, uh, you know, before I came on here with you, I was watching his interview with Faraday and that was my overwhelming impression as I watched him interact with David Faraday, who's usually very good at kind of breaking people down, uh, I didn't get the sense that that he was being real, and and that doesn't mean that he wasn't being real. That doesn't mean that he's a bad guy. It just means, as I said earlier, that he's not a particularly good performer of authenticity. Yeah, I, I think that's a very that, that's very well said. Um, and to, to your point, my friend actually did not know uh, a lot of the backstory, and so right. which, which you know is kind of the the whole point. Where if you actually dislike a sports figure. Um, mm-hmm. And all that you have to judge that person is how they perform in that sport. Then I feel, from a fandom perspective, that's totally allowed. You know, right. like you can make a judgment on on at least the way that somebody performs based on what you see on television. But the way that uh, you know, not only journalists but fans alike, and you had mentioned some of the perhaps Augusta natives who know a little bit more about. Patrick Reed's backstory um, and listeners, we, we keep referring to his backstory, but you, you can very easily find all the details about it. If you just, you know, Google Patrick Reed now, um, they have a different viewpoint of this man. And, you know, I, I raised the question though to you, Garrett is, you know, how important is it for us as fans to know every little thing about who we watch in your, in your opinion? It's a tricky question. It's obviously not very important. And yet, when stories like Alan Shipnook's come out, we do read them, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, often, I find myself moved by a well-done story about a golfer's personal history or personal life. Um, I think there have been some really excellent journalistic pieces on golfers personal lives that have not necessarily met the approval of the golfers themselves Mm. Um, i brought up on twitter wright thompson's profile of tiger woods uh, a deep dive into uh, his kind of meltdown in the mid 2000s Um, and it was an extraordinary piece. Some people have mentioned that a lot of those, a lot of the findings in that article had been reported before, but the way that Wright Thompson put it together told a moving story that truly illuminated an aspect of Tiger Woods and explained some of the things that had happened. Um, now to a lesser degree, I, I found the same, um, kind of insight from Alan Shipnook's article about Patrick Reed's estranged family. I really was moved by that article. And while I don't think I necessarily have a right to know that family history or um, don't think it's important, uh, particularly important that I know that family history, I'm glad to know that story because it's a pretty good story. Hmm. Um, 
now I, I'm, I'm aware that that story may have had a, a bad effect on Patrick Reed, might have um, tempered the joy of his victory. Um, and that is something that, you know, I, I acknowledge that, that that's a legitimate concern. Um, so, yeah, you know, while I don't think all fans necessarily have a right to know all this stuff, those those stories are some of them are, are, are quite good. And, and it has to be written by an excellent journalist. Um, and, and that is I think Alan Shipnook is an excellent journalist. I agree with you, and and from what I've heard, that story that he wrote on Golf.com it was the most shared uh, <laughs> article in the history of Golf.com. Which, and that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, of all the histories, even even all the toils and tribulations that uh, the greatest player of this generation, Tiger Woods, has gone mm-hmm. through. You know, you'd imagine that this story about a Augustav native who may have had some run-ins with, you know, college stuff as well as, you know, uh, maybe a, a bumpy family history. You wouldn't expect that <laughs> that yeah. story. But I think that, to your point, I think that just pays credence to how well the story was told um, mm-hmm. by a journalist like Alan Shipnuck. And so, you know, it's what's interesting, though, Garrett, is, you know, we, we can think of all of these sports figures that we've watched and, uh, you know, up to a certain point of the social media age, we didn't really know a whole lot about their backstory. And it certainly wasn't shared to the degree that it is now. I mean, it's 2018. Yeah. Everyone can know everything about anyone, <laughs> really, yeah. uh, essentially. And it's kind of scary. Uh, right. But, you know, do you feel that that, that level of access uh, that is no longer just reserved to the folks in the media center, or the people that get the opportunity to go and sit down with parents as while their son wins the Masters three miles away. Uh, yeah. Do you feel that that access helps us as fans, or do you think that it's a detriment in any way? I don't think it's a detriment to us as fans. I don't think that story did any harm to fans. The worry that I would have is that it did harm to, in some way, to Patrick Reed and um, the people close to him. Um, and I think that's a, that again, that's a legitimate worry. Sure. Um, but uh, does it uh, does that kind of story whet our appetite for more stories like it? Uh, is that sort of the direction of uh, of your thinking there? Yeah, um, that how it would do harm. Yeah, it, it, maybe maybe it is. You know, it doesn't matter that I need to know every little thing about somebody in order to like them? Or can I just simply go off of what I see, much like my friend who I watched the Masters with, just based on what they see on television? Right. I'll put it this way. I think that if we were privy only to stories that players approved, that golf would be less interesting than it is. Hmm. Um, if the only family stories that were allowed to be told about golfers were positive family stories that the golfers themselves endorsed, then I think golf fans would tune a lot of that journalism out because they would interpret it as PGA tour propaganda, Hmm. which Essentially, I think it would be if you if you prioritized the players' approval that much. Um, and so, 
you know, uh, there are some fun, positive family stories out there for sure. I, I've uh, enjoyed hearing about Ricky Fowler's childhood, right? He's got kind of these cool parents who uh, live in this uh, desert town in California and, right. and they're really into uh, motorcycles and, you know, and <laughs> yeah, kind right. of personalities and you kind of find out something about Ricky Fowler through them. And obviously the, the, the Spieth family story is, is warm and fuzzy in a genuine way, right? There's, there's nothing really to be cynical about there and, and that's fun to know about. But obviously those are player proof stories. Um, but at the same time, if those were the only kinds of stories that we heard about PGA Tour players, I, I think that we would probably put a little bit less value in the actually positive family stories that we got. Um, now, say family stories were completely off limits, that all we could focus on is the golf itself. And I, I don't I don't imagine that there will ever be a world in which we do this. But this is what some people on Twitter are suggesting. Only the golf matters. Yeah, I think that it would make golf a lot less interesting. Um, golf is a, a drama of the personality. It's a drama of the emotions. It's a drama of the psyche. Um, and that and that might sound a little bit too high flown, but I think anybody who's played golf knows that that's true. What you bring to the golf car, uh, course in your in your soul and your mind is extraordinarily important. Um, and so finding out a little bit about the souls and minds of the uh, golfers that we are most invested in watching is enlightening, informative, it's entertaining. One of the best elements of the 90s NBA, National Basketball Association, in my mind, was the fact that we had characters. And, yeah. and then there was a, I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, and I'm saying, okay. yeah. And, and so you, you'll remember the characters I'm talking about. And, you know, yeah. we, we all knew when we turned tuned in on a Sunday morning, for example, that, oh, my God, the, the Pistons and the Knicks are playing. You know who's going to uh, be getting in fights, right? Beer, Charles Oakley. Yeah, yeah. those guys. John awesome. Starks, everyone. And, and then there was, a, there was a period, uh, and believe me, I have a point to this, but there was a period where the characters kind of went away. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden now – in a rejuvenated league, in my opinion, there's there's additional characters with Kevin Durant, LeBron, and others. Yes. Golf has always been a sport of characters, and we speak of them mm -hmm. all the time. We, we, we talk about the greats, and we honor them with the ceremonial tee shots at the Masters, and we, we tune in to watch Tom Watson win the Par 3 contest. Mm-hmm. But we try to speak of them in very positive terms, and we've never really had the chance to, I don't know, have a villain. Does, right. does golf need a villain to round out the character list? I certainly think it would make it more interesting. I, <laughs> I think that uh, Patrick Reed being cast as a kind of villain in this Masters um, made that last day really engaging. Um, because people were rooting both for and against. Um, now, uh, to, to give credit to the kind of diversity of fan experiences, a lot of people were rooting for Patrick Reed as well. Yeah, right? sure. Let's not forget he has his, his fans, his defenders, and um, certainly after Shipnook's story, a lot of these people came out of the woodwork to defend Patrick Reed. That was, in, in fact, the dominant response that I saw on Twitter. 
Um, but uh, does golf need a villain? I, maybe maybe it doesn't need one, but uh, it it makes these tournaments really lively to have characters like Bubba Watson and Ian Poulter involved, right? The reemergence of Bubba Watson is a, a big story of this year. And uh, while there has been some push to see him as a kinder, gentler Bubba, I think there's strong evidence that he's still exactly the same person. Um, and I love how Ian Poulter rubs so many people the wrong way. It's, uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. He's such a personality. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think these kinds of characters, uh, make, uh, make golf more enjoyable to watch. Now it, it depends on the kind of villain we're talking about here though. Sure, right. Sure. So I think that the reason Patrick Reed might be seen as a villain is that he, uh, is that his his personality to a lot of people might be a little off putting. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a villain because he's estranged from his family. <laughs> that <doesn't laughs> right. makes somebody a villain. That just makes somebody a member of a, a pretty uh, regular kind of family. Yeah, right? it, he's human. <laughs> it doesn't make us all bad people. Um, and I, I certainly relate with aspects of, of what is apparently Patrick Reed's family story myself. And I don't think being part of a family like that in any way makes you a villain. And, um, so, uh, so as, as long as we're judging people to be villains based on, uh, admittedly shallow criteria, uh, it's, it's all fun and games, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think we need to be villainizing people based on, uh, uh, personal histories that they can't control. I think that's well said. You know, I don't think we need to, to force, uh, the, the villain to become the villain, you know, <laughs> and, right. and, uh, you know, part of, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the, the narrative of a lot of, of these sports stars and spe- specifically on the PGA tour. And mm-hmm. a lot of that narrative is shaped by the people who report about it. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting uh, to kind of segue into uh, uh, another topic I wanted to discuss with you was this concept of, you know, fake followers of, <laughs> of, of some of the more popular Twitter accounts. And, you know, uh, I'll go wherever you want to go with this. And we don't necessarily have to call out, you know, specific publications or, or names. But, you know, there was an element and many people who followed the public golfer Twitter account remember that uh there was this question about, hey, how many of these famous journalists uh, or bloggers or whatever uh, followers were actual people? <laughs> you know, right. I think we jokingly retur- referred to it as hashtag botgate. And, <laughs> and, you know, how many of these – because we know anyone who's been on Twitter for five minutes knows that at the times there are fake accounts that come up and they try to follow you for whatever reason. Um And this was a legitimate concern. And so, you know, for listeners who might not know what I'm talking about, (laughs) uh, (laughs) a little bit of background on on what you uh, the the effort that you you took on. Sure. Okay. so a few months ago, I can't even tell how long ago it was. I guess it was a few months ago. um, The New York Times came out with an article about the phenomenon of. Uh, significant famous Twitter accounts buying followers 
to bolster their image as influential mm -hmm. Twitter accounts. Um, and sometimes certain Twitter accounts would buy tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of fake robotic followers uh, in order just to boost the number um, that uh, they supposedly uh, were followed by. Um, right. So this is assuming that your follower count is a kind of currency. Uh, and so there were certain people out there who were um, boosting that currency in a somewhat dishonest manner. Uh, and the the uh, the New York Times reported this out through uh, getting access to the files of a company that was selling fake robotic followers to uh, various people on Twitter. And so they actually found people who had, who had dealt with this company, given this company money. And so they, they had the, the real evidence and uh, the, the people and the institutions that bought fake followers were a hilarious mixture. And I think uh, Jacobin magazine was <laughs> the, 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 the socialist magazine was caught buying followers, which I just thought was uh, hilarious. Yes, um, yes. And then, you know, there are also some, some folks uh, that you would, that you would expect to buy uh, followers. So it was a fascinating article to read. Uh, it, had, it was a big gossipy. It was, uh, and it was, uh, it, and it opened up an interesting issue uh, on, on Twitter, which is the phenomenon of, of bots. Obviously bots have had a, and had a big influence on things that we would never think that uh, Twitter bots would have an influence on. Uh, so uh, it was an interesting story, a big story for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it came to my mind to uh, go to a, a tool that many people would use to detect whether accounts had a certain number of fake followers, uh, right? So there's this tool called Twitter audit that, um, that pretty reliably detects, um, whether a certain account has, um, uh, you know, what, what percentage of a, an account's followers are, are fake or bots. Um, and, uh, first I entered my own, um, handle, uh, into Twitter audit and, uh, I was curious about <laughs> how many bots were following me. <laughs> right. Uh, and it was something like 2% of my following uh, were bots, right? So I had 98% so-called real followers. Um, and I thought, okay, that's pretty good. But also weird that I have, you know, 15 to 20 followers that are bots. I didn't know that. That's, uh, that's interesting. Um, and so then it, then it came to my mind to begin uh, throwing other golf media handles in there and, and seeing what happened. Um, and so, uh, I ended up entering about 200 different Twitter handles of various people in golf media. And my, my criteria for uh, selection were basically the, uh, the journalist had to be kind of a, a public figure. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, out regular, right, uh, right. but, um, so I, I entered a bunch of handles in and, I, I noticed a, a kind of division. There were definitely accounts that had um, 98%, 96% real followers and a few bots following them. Um, and these were even accounts that had a huge number of, of followers, uh, like the no laying up accounts, like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, John Cavalier, right? All of these accounts had huge followings, but, you know, very high real followings. Sure. Um, and then I, I noticed that there were a couple of handles that had really heavy numbers of bots following them. 
Um, and I, I thought this was interesting information. I, I didn't necessarily jump to the conclusion that these media members definitely had bought followers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was striking that out of all the handles I, interest, uh, I entered into Twitter audit, there were, there were just a few that were kind of upside down uh, in terms of the, the ratio of fake to real followers. Um, and so I, I, I sent out a cryptic tweet about it saying, hey, I, I entered a bunch of handles into a Twitter audit. I found out some interesting things and immediately people were replying with, OK, come on, you got to tell us, you got to tell us. Um, and so I, I went through, uh, you know, and, uh, some thinking about it and I, I was like, this is probably not wise to do this, but, uh, what the heck? Yeah, uh, right. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And, and so I ended up writing a whole thing, kind of contextualizing, uh, this search that I did saying, okay, I can't necessarily vouch for the accuracy of Twitter audit, but a lot of people seem to think it's valid. And I'm not saying that these people bought followers. I'm just saying that they had strikingly kind of uh, weird ratios. Um, and so, uh, you know, these are the people. And I wrote that note, I attached it to the tweet and all the tweet said was, please read the note first. So I was trying not to be sensationalistic about it. Sure. Um, and then I attached screenshots of the, of the accounts that had, um, uh, that had odd ratios of fake to real followers. And, um, the response was substantial, Mm -hmm. uh, scary, um, pretty interesting. Uh, A lot of discussions uh, about the, the ethics of what I did, but also a lot of thoughts about, well, you know, isn't it interesting, uh, the, uh, the prevalence of, of bots on Twitter and, uh, wouldn't it be worthwhile to check our own accounts and see if there's anything we can do if we get followed by a lot of bots to, uh, to eliminate them? Um, uh, because that's the, you know, uh, you can do that pretty easily. Yeah, uh, you absolutely so, can. There's tools for available for that as well. Right. Twitter audit being the main one, right? You right. can, uh, if you get if you get a certain version of Twitter audit, you can easily eliminate your uh, your fake followers. But of course, you'd have to trust Twitter audit first in order to, you know, you know nuke your following, sure. which uh, can feel uncomfortable to people for sure. Well, and, and it would feel uncomfortable certainly for uh, internet-based publications uh, that really rely heavily on that following. And, yeah. and you know, for the listeners, uh, basically, why this is important not to. If I if I can expand on what you were saying, is mm-hmm. is you know these uh, authors of articles that get published on these internet publications, you know there's there's uh, very we're talking about money here. We're we're talking about yeah. you know people who can they drive uh, a following to the hub website that is probably got a ton of ads on it. That will mm-hmm. lead to clicks by you and me and others who read the site, which generates legitimate dollars that keep the lights on for these publications. And so, right. you know, that is why it's important. What, yeah. you, what you bring up, though, is is also very interesting uh, about the ethical side of, of, quote unquote, what you did. And and I, I should say that, you know, I, I don't think you did anything improper, um, mm-hmm. but it did raise the question. And, and I imagine that. You know, these folks, uh, I was very privy to some of the responses that you received because anybody can read them in the thread at least. It's all public. It's all public. Uh, You know, a lot of them simply didn't know that this was true. Now, you know, believe them or not, which I tend to believe them, uh, having known many of the people that that you uh, uh, that you pointed out. Um, Mm -hmm. But this does also speak to the greater overarching uh, ownership 
of perhaps a publication that's that might right. be doing something on behalf of their employees that maybe the employees don't know about. And so yeah. that there's that element to it as well, I feel. That was, yeah, there was some speculation about that. Honestly, I think the most likely case is some of these accounts that I pointed out, uh, a few of which, a substantial number of which were Golf Digest writers, but there are also some Golf Channel affiliated folks and, and, and things like that. Um, I, I, I don't believe that those writers themselves bought fake followings. Um, I, I believe them when they say that they didn't and that they're puzzled by this. Um, and I don't know if they were bought for them. Um, I think there, there may even be a way in which, you know, a certain kind of, uh, Twitter bot follows a certain kind of person just involuntarily. And there are certain lists of people who just get a lot of fake followers. I, I don't really know how it works. And, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously what I posted was inevitably going to be taken as an accusation uh, of uh, kind of low level fraud against these writers. And um, I didn't mean it that way. But I do think that there is uh, some responsibility on the part of a well-known uh, writer uh, at this uh, famous publication to monitor uh, their Twitter followings a little bit and, and see that the uh, number that's next to their name is uh, reflective of, of the actual following. Um, Which is interesting, and, uh, not to interject, but that, that's interesting because what you actually, uh, you doing what you did prompted action. Yes. Which was interesting. Right. A couple of the accounts that uh, that showed up on the list as having, um, having a lot of fake followers uh, almost immediately... Uh, well, let's just say uh, mysteriously, their their followings were reduced by uh, a third uh, overnight, and uh, and a lot of the uh, fake followers seem to have been expunged. Um, and uh, you know, I uh, again, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't trying to be a muckraker there and and, and stick it to those writers, but I, I think it's. Uh, certainly uh, useful that they took a look at it and uh, and made some adjustments so it, what's interesting is is you know we've got uh, this uh, action that was taken and you mm -hmm. know uh, people cleaned up their accounts and and you know, we we discussed why it was important i think what's what's also important to understand is that you know the number of followers that these these accounts have doesn't necessarily necessarily say that they're putting out bad stuff, you right? Know? And 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 I think that was something that I I feel could have been interpreted or the mm -hmm. conclusion that could have been jumped to, um, uh, following all of this, you know. And and I think that at least from what I saw, nobody was saying that hey, you guys put out garbage. It's just oh, okay, well, you're, you're the numbers might be a little off. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think that uh, also a an implication that could be uh, derived from from this whole story is that these writers who have um, a lot of fake followers um, have achieved their positions of prominence uh, not through writing talent, um, and I, I think that that's untrue. A lot of uh, talented writers and media figures. Uh, ended up on this list. And I think that um, a lot of them have uh, certainly legitimately earned their place as uh, as big time golf journalists. Um, and uh, and so that's uh, that, that's something that absolutely should be uh, clear as well. 
Um, I do have varying opinions of the quality of work that some of the <laughs> sure. on this list put out, right? But but I don't think there's any necessary correspondence between a, a fake following and a uh, and 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 a low quality of journalism. Yeah. Um, well so uh, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Definitely. Absolutely. So you know we've covered a lot of stuff today. We've covered a lot of ground, and mm. you know. Uh, I've enjoyed having you on here, Garrett. We're going to do it again in the future because I think it, I like to take a pause every so often on this show and just talk about you know stuff that's happening in golf. Right. I mean, listeners know, and you as well know that this has. Uh, we talk a lot about equipment, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, we found kind of a sweet spot in there. But it is nice to kind of reconnect with the people that use that equipment, especially at a very high level, and the people that sometimes write about the people that use that equipment. (laughs) So uh, really, 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 really appreciate you coming on, Garrett. And listeners, you can find Garrett uh, on Twitter, as I mentioned before, at G Ford Golf. You can become one of his many real followers (laughs) if you give him a follow. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. We we will definitely do this again soon. Uh, Thanks a lot, Adam. This was fun.